So much um, has happened in a year, over a year. And I'll talk more about all of that, and he will too, in a couple of weeks. But yes, it, it, it is amazing. And it, it just goes to show the faithfulness of God. Okay, because when you're in the purpose of God, nothing can defeat the purposes of God. Take it to the bank. Nothing can defeat the purpose of God. When you know what the purpose of God is, it'll never die. It'll never die. Um, so many memories. Um, I grew up in Hawaii. Okay. If you've ever been to Hawaii, <clears throat> you know that there is no majority in Hawaii. Everybody's a minority. And then the Navy sent me to San Diego <clears throat> for boot camp and training, a school training. And then I ended up in Charleston, South Carolina, in 1967. And it angered me to walk downtown in Charleston and see signs that said whites only, blacks only. Because I grew up where everybody was a minority and there was no majority. I tell people I didn't know what it meant to be a majority <clears throat> until I left Hawaii and went to school in Texas for a year. I'm looking around and there's more folks that are look like me than look like anybody else. And it really, really irked me because I had never not had friends of any racial description. It really, really irked me. And I'm so thankful that, <clears throat> to quote a long ago <clears throat> folk song, the times, they are changing. The times have been changing. And that's so good. It really is. So thank you for bringing that to our minds. I appreciate it so much. Assuming you have your Bible and it's open to Mark chapter 5, <clears throat> and if not, our pretty usherette is ready to hand you a copy of the Word of God that you can follow along with. I have a PowerPoint that goes with the message, but it doesn't fit on a Mac as well as it does on a uh, PC, which is how it was created. So we can't have that in our background today. <clears throat> Who have you told? In chapter 5 and verse 20, <clears throat> the last verse of the section, Jesus said, or the Bible says, So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Have you ever noticed that when a little child begins to tell a story, all ears are focused on what he or she is saying. It seems we all anticipate <clears throat> that we're, we're going to hear something that is funny because of the way that a child tells a story. So 
Let, let me tell you to, uh, share with you an example of this. A father wrote this. He said, several years ago, I returned home from a trip just when a storm hit. Crashing thunder, severe lightning. And as I came into my bedroom about 2 a.m., I found my two children in bed with my wife, Carrie, apparently scared by the loud storm. I resigned myself to sleep in the guest room that night. The next day, I talked to the children and explained that it was okay to sleep with mom when the storm was bad, but when I was expected home, please don't sleep with mom that night. And they said, okay. After my next trip several weeks later, Carrie and the children picked me up at the terminal at the appointed time. Since the plane was late, everybody had come into the terminal to wait for the plane's arrival, along with hundreds of other folks waiting for their arriving passengers. As I entered the waiting area, my son saw me and came running up. Dad, I've got some good news. And I waved back and I said loudly, what is the good news? What do you think he said? Nobody slept with mommy while you were away this time. <clears throat> the airport became very quiet. Everybody in the waiting area looked at, looked at my little Alex, that, then turned to me, and then they, they searched the rest of the area if they could figure out exactly who his mom was. <clears throat> I mean, after all, isn't that what Art Linkletter based his show on half a century ago? I know, you know. That's okay. Let's look at verse 1 through 4. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Now, this is a narrative about Jesus' encounter with a demon-possessed man in the Gerasenes, and it's not so much about dealing with a demon-possessed man as it is a story about telling people about what Jesus has done in your life. We all have at least one story to tell, the story of how we came to faith in Christ. Unfortunately, it's not a story we tell often enough. Now, these opening verses tell us all we need to know about the man Jesus is about to encounter in a powerful way. Notice that the man came to meet Jesus. Jesus knew he would encounter the man. God had already shared with Jesus before the boat had even departed from the other side of the sea. He'd heard about Jesus even in this Gentile area of the Decapolis, the ten cities. Then Mark gives us a brief history of the man and the way of life he'd been dealing with for many years. He is strong enough to break any chains that were made to harness him. No one is strong enough to subdue him. He obviously has superhuman strength. He is self-destructive. Look at verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This is a powerful man under the control of a powerful demon. And as Mark makes it quite clear, he lives in caves and tombs that are scattered about the countryside. I would guess that having a funeral out here for a loved one had become quite a trying event, a trying task, and was always the subject of disruption by this man. And then he meets Jesus. Look at verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance... 
He ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus? Son of God, the Most High God. Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. As you can tell, what happened next is a little out of chronological order in Mark's telling of the encounter. The first thing that the man did was recognize that Jesus was approaching him. He saw Jesus coming in the distance, and though he had never met him or even seen Jesus before, he knew that indeed it was Jesus encroaching upon his territory. Second, as he and Jesus drew nearer, he fell down on his knees. He understood that this was the Son of God without anyone having to tell him. The demon that possessed the man recognized Jesus and fell in homage to him. And when he did this, Jesus spoke to the demon in the man and commanded him to come out of his body. This command of Jesus prompted the next response. <clears throat> the demon's response to Jesus is recorded in verse 7. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Jesus has been talking to the demon this whole time that he's been approaching him. The Greek indicates that Jesus speaking was a continual phrase over and over. Come out of the man, come out of the man, come out of the man. And probably in a soft but firm voice as well. Jesus is telling him what needs to happen. The man continues in a loud voice expecting to be tortured for his possession of the man. Swear to God that you won't torture me, the demon-possessed man yells. He's rightly afraid of being punished by God for all that he has done physically to this poor soul. But Jesus is not ready to do anything but cast the demon out, and he continues with another question. Verse 9, Jesus asked him, what's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. It's always been thought that a demon could not be cast out of someone he was possessing unless the exorcist knew the name of the demon. And the demon had to tell his name to any exorcist that asked for it. He couldn't be silent. And what does the name reveal? To those of Jesus' era, legion referred to a large contingent of troops in the Roman army. 6,000 to be exact. Were there that many demons in the man? I, I don't know. But suffice to say there was more than one. Now verse 12. <clears throat> the demons begged him. Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the, street, the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. <clears throat> we know this is Gentile territory. We know these are Gentiles in this territory, and this man is a Gentile that Jesus is addressing because of the presence of herds of pigs. Jews would never, never be herders of pigs. Cows, yes. Goats, yes. Lambs, yes but never pigs. This is a Gentile man in a Gentile territory. 
that Jesus is addressing and dealing with. I suppose if the man was possessed by several thousand demons, they all could have left the man and inhabited one pig each. (laughs) I don't know who's watching, including Jesus, could have guessed that the herd of pigs would rush over the steep bank into the lake and drown. But that's what happened. And so ends the confrontation with the demon-possessed man. But what happens next? Turn the page, if you will, because there is a story to tell. Look at verse 14. There are really two stories that end this encounter. The first story begins with the crowds of people who've been witnessing all of these events unfolding. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. Remember, this is a countryside, a Decapolis, 10 cities. They're all over this area of the lake. And people are watching this and going, ah! And they're running home because this is news. We've got to tell people. There's a whole herd of pigs that just rushed off, off the bank, down into the water, and drowned. Can't you just imagine a couple of townspeople witnessing the exorcism of this man from a distance? Perhaps catching only a few words of the conversation that Jesus had with the demons, and then seeing the man fall down limp as the demons left him, rushed into the herd of pigs that promptly ran into the lake and drowned. And you're not real close by, and what? You're so amazed, so shocked by what's happened. I'm guessing they would be quite incredulous about the whole sequence of events, you know, rubbing their eyes in disbelief as to what had just taken place. And when they finally realized the peace and quiet of the scene with Jesus, they had to run and tell everyone they knew about what they'd witnessed. This is news. we got to get it out. People would hear their excited tale and rush out from the cities and the towns to see for themselves. Too bad no uh, cell phone cameras. (laughs) Then Then it would be shown around and posted on the internet. The story was told and retold by those who had not witnessed it, by those who had witnessed it. And because no one in the garrisons had ever seen or heard of such a thing before, they responded with fear. Look at verse 16. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus, leave our region. We've never encountered anything like this before. We're so afraid of the power that this man has that instead of welcoming him and welcoming the kind of peace that was now a part of this poor, formerly demon-possessed man, instead of, I want to know more, Jesus. We'd rather you left town. We'd rather you get out of sight. We can't, we can't abide by this. But that's not the last ending of the story. Look at verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Now remember, last week, we read about, heard about 
the fact that they had left one side of the lake and come to this side of the lake. And, you know, we'd rather you got out of town the same way you came. Get on your boat and go back to the other side of the lake. We don't want you here. So, the man comes to Jesus. <clears throat> so, Jesus is getting into the boat. The man comes to him and begs to go with him. Jesus, I don't want to stay here. Let me go with you. And Jesus did not let him, verse 19. But said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. This man's thankfulness takes the form of intense gratitude. He wants to follow Jesus. Wouldn't you want to be with the person who had brought such a wonderful relief to your horrible plight also? But his goal and desire was not God's goal for his life. At this point, he doesn't know what God wants him to do. All he can think to do is, I want to be with Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. He has freed me from this former life, from this self-destructive behavior and attitude. All I want to do is be with Jesus. But Jesus did not let him. He said, you know what? <clears throat> Go to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus knew that the man would be a far more effective witness to his ministry if he stayed in the Decapolis and told people what the Son of God had done. Wouldn't you be more convinced of the power and mercy of God if you had witnessed this kind of change in the, this man and his life? <clears throat> All people had been pointing at him for, all, for so many years of his life. That's the demon-possessed man. Keep your kids away. Watch out. You don't know what's going to happen. He might break loose and hurt you. And all of that fear that people had had and built up for years was now gone. And the peace of God that passes all understanding had gripped this man's life. And people could say, you're different now. What's changed you? And Jesus said, the thing you need to do is first of all, go tell your family. For years, maybe decades, he had had no relationship with his family. They had lived in town and we'd rather not think about him or do any, they may have cast him out of the family. <clears throat> you're, you're dead to us because of your behavior. And now he can walk back into the family home and see his parents. And they would see him in his right mind and would recognize that he was changed. His siblings, brother, what's different about you? What's happened to you? And he could say, Jesus has changed me. 
and maybe the friends that he had when he was growing up before he was possessed would recognize him in the street and say, what's happened to you? You're no longer angry running around naked in the tombs. What's changed your life? And he could tell them about Jesus. And he could be a witness in the Decapolis, the Gentile territory. Over and over again, telling people over and over again what Jesus had done in his life. So what did the man do? Look at verse 20. The man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Jesus didn't need one more man to follow him and go with him and witness the power that he had. He needed one man to go to people who had never heard about him. Never heard about the power of God. Never heard about how the love of God had cast those demons out of this man's life. Mark says <clears throat> he began to tell in the Decapolis. He went to all the cities on that side of the lake. He became an evangelist, if you will, because he had such a negative rep reputation. And now he's got a positive witness for what God's done in his life. And that's what Jesus needed him to do. To go and tell. And he was obedient to Jesus. He went away and began to tell. Jesus said, go tell. He went away and told. And all the people were amazed because of the testimony this man had. <clears throat> when I was a teenager... And a Christian, by the way. I would sometime have a little bit of impish behavior. That remains in me. I will tell you now. But when I was a senior in high school, member of Newtonwanu Baptist Church in Honolulu, we had a young adult group, college and career kind of thing. And <clears throat> a lot of freshmen and sophomores from the University of Hawaii, we were all group together we had fellowships and things like that and I I sometimes had my impish behavior I remember Gary we were talking one time and Gary had a handful of chips like this and I came along and put my hands around him and did this to the chips that were in his hand yeah. <clears throat> well fast forward a dozen years later I'm now pastoring my first church on the island of Molokai. And um, we'd kind of had a, agreed we were doing some pulpit swapping. And so <clears throat> we had been invited to go to the First Baptist Church of Pearl City. And here's, here's a man that has been the only pastor of that church since it started. And he retired from that church. But anyway, <clears throat> so we're there. Um, we get with the pastor, we go downstairs where the choir is getting ready to come up sing for the service. There's going to be a prayer with the pastor and myself and wife and the choir. 
And I walk into the room. <clears throat> Choir's just finished rehearsing. And one of the ladies looks at me and says, I know you, you rascal. I said, wait, I've changed. Sometimes those things haunt you. I'd changed. She hadn't seen me in a dozen years, and <clears throat> now she's going to listen to me preach for the first time. What a surprise. What a surprise. It's nice to see change in people. I think sometimes we overlook the importance of bearing witness to the saving power of God to those who know us best. Maybe it's because we suspect that those who know us best are not <laughs> going to believe us. Maybe it's because those who know us best are going to be watching us intently to see if God has really wrought such a change, such a big change in our lives, and they want to see if it's really lasting. Show me the proof, they might say. And we would. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have told us the same thing Jesus has told the man who had been demon-possessed. Go home and tell the people what God has done for you. Maybe we've done that, Father. When we accepted Christ as our Savior and began to follow him, maybe, maybe we did go and tell our family first. And tell some of our friends first. Because they noticed there was a change and they wanted to know all about that change. Our words became more gracious. Our language less salt and peppered. Our minds and our thoughts more Christ-like. We began to study the Bible. We began to pray and we get, began to meet with believers and worship with believers. And we told them what had happened. Maybe there's others, Heavenly Father, that we have not told about the change in our lives and because we have not told them they don't know Father I pray today that your Holy Spirit would lead us to answer the question who have you told who have you not told we would begin to tell what Jesus has done for each of us. I pray that in your precious name, Father. Amen.